Good morning. I was much better. It is kind of a heavy morning. It is raining outside, and uh, we all probably went to the lights and the heights last night, and so we're a little bit dazed from that. I get it. Um, I am excited, though. This is the third week historically in the church of Advent, and uh, if you look historically at this third week, uh, even the Catholic Church calls it uh, Gaudete Sunday, which is the Sunday to rejoice, and so whether we like it or not, we're going to be rejoicing at the end of this day, so I'm really happy about that. The text that um, Brandon read, Isaiah chapter 61, verses 10 and 11, um, it's just such a joy to be here with you this morning and being able to finish this prophetic text that Isaiah has been um, walking with us through for the last couple of weeks, and so for that I'm really grateful. As Brandon said earlier, I am a church plan with Acts 29. My wife Carly and I, we've been now in Houston for the last couple of months, and Lord willing, we will be heading back home uh, the end of February to our church plant, our core group, our family, and, um, and a son that we, Lord willing, will have in April. So we're really excited about that. Um, thank you, Sojourn. Thank you for your leadership uh, that allows uh, church planters like myself, whether in Houston or in Italy, the opportunity to come and to speak from God's Word. It is, a, it is such an opportunity to be able just to be here with you this morning, so for that I'm grateful. Let's get started. How many of you have seen the film Everest? Raise of hands. Anybody? Okay, great. few people. Um, I have not seen it yet. I will not see it, especially while my wife is pregnant. Um, I've heard that it's not one of the best films to come out of the theater and still be happy. Um, it is a very depressing film from what I can, um, from what I can imagine. And uh, I want to share with you, if I can, a true story about this film uh, or about the, the idea of Mount Everest. There was a climber back in the 1920s whose name was George Mallory. George Mallory tried to reach the summit of Everest almost 100 years ago. And um, George, he tried several attempts, and, and finally in 1924, um, on his third attempt, he died. A couple of years later, or excuse me, a couple of years before, in 1922, a reporter asked George Mallory, why? Why do you try to climb this impossible mountain called Everest. And this is the response that Mallory gave this reporter. He told him, If you cannot understand that there is something in man which responds to the challenge of this mountain, and he goes out to meet it, that the struggle is the struggle of life itself upward and forever upward, then you won't see why we go. What we get from this adventure that is climbing Everest is just sheer joy. And joy is, after all, the end of life. He finished the statement by saying, we do not live to eat and make money. We eat and make money to be able to enjoy the joy of life. That is what life means and what life is for. This is what he said a couple of years before he went to, to face his death on the side of the mountain. He, found, he was found, his body was found in 1999, frozen in the rock. Uh, his body was pitched upwards, found 2,000 feet below the summit. Many of you know Everest is 27,000 feet, so he almost got there. His hands were above his, his head, his, his arms and his hands dug into the rock, his feet dug into the ground, his head facing upward, even as he drew his last breath. Now, could it be, Sojourn, that 
that George has tapped into something that, that we all struggle with, that we all yearn for? Could it be that we as human beings here on this earth are trying to pursue life for joy? Could it be that we're chasing joy with everything that we have around us, like George? Could it be that we're trying to find happiness as George was trying to find it in the adventure of climbing Everest? And I think that Isaiah speaks to us in the same way that George speaks to us. He speaks to us from this text, Isaiah 61, verse 10. He's speaking about joy. He's speaking about rejoicing. Look with me back at the text in verse 10. Isaiah starts out with, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. So the, the verse starts here, and, and if any of you were here the last couple of weeks, you would know that, that Isaiah is, is talking about Israel. He's talking about what God's going to do with Israel. But at this time, it's not a point to really rejoice. He's not rejoicing in a situation. And, and if you look at the original text, he's screaming, rejoice. This is how we get, I will greatly rejoice. He's trying to show us that he's happy. And all this excitement in God is not about what Israel is doing at all. They had found joy in idols, as Dodd spoke about last week. They had turned away from God. They had turned away from their, their Savior. They were trying to pursue everything else that the nations around them counted worthy to pursue. And their country as a nation, was about to be taken over by the nation of Babylon because of them trying to find joy in everything but him. And Isaiah, speaking on behalf of himself and the people of God, finishes this prophetic text with room for rejoicing, with grounds for being happy in God. He isn't rejoicing over the might of Israel. He isn't rejoicing over what they have as a nation and I think that the reason why Isaiah here in this text, in such a painful season of his life, in watching his nation not go towards God, not go towards their creator, he can say this because his eyes aren't fixed on his situation. His eyes are fixed on the one who's fixing it. His eyes are fixed on God. And this is why he can sit there and literally dance for joy because his eyes were fixed on his creator Dodds talked about last week that, that they had every reason to rejoice in God. They had every reason to because of the covenant that God had made with them as a nation over a thousand years prior. But as time goes on, they lost their joy. They lost their joy in who he was and what he did for them. He wasn't their treasure. So if I could just speak out of this text, if I can, just for a moment, when it relates to us, like right now, 2015, Houston, Texas, it's raining. Um, these days we are living, I think, in the same reality that Israel lived in. That God is, God is out there, but we are living our lives and chasing everything but him. Chasing everything else but him. Mallory's response to why climb the mountain? Well, joy. Joy is the end of life. Joy is why we do this. Joy is why we wake up in the morning. We pursue this, guys, as if it's, as if it's our own Everest. Right? 
What makes you tick? What makes you continue? And if we could just even get honest, some of us here this morning may be using religion or Christianity as a means to find joy in something that isn't God. What do I mean by that? I mean that there may be some of you here that you come to sojourn because you want friendship and you want acceptance and you want to fit in. You don't come because you love God. Some of us might come because we're trying to to find happiness on Sunday because we don't have happiness the other days of the week and, and we don't really like the way our lives are the other days of the week. And so we come here to try to make a balance. We use Christianity as a means not to, not to take joy in God, but to take joy in something else, namely ourselves. And we are the center of that joy. This is what we do. We work 90 hours a week in our jobs and in our careers for longing, for meaning, so that we can be happy for something more. And what we don't realize is that we put 40, 50 years into these companies, and at the end of it, there is no more longing. There is no more identity. Because why? They ask you to retire, right? We continue, and we continue down this path. And it's always, it can be job and career, but it could be just the next weekend movie or the next weekend concert, just, just to give me something, just to get me through, right? The problem that, with this way of thinking is that we nearly strive and kill ourselves in trying to find something that doesn't last. A joy that doesn't last. I want to even take this deeper if I can. How many of you know C.S. Lewis? C.S. Lewis was an English writer, very well known in the 20th century, probably best known by his work on the Narnia collection. Um, but C.S. Lewis, as George Mallory and as Isaiah, speaks to us in the same way about our, our pursuit of, of joy. In the book that he wrote called The Weight of Glory, he speaks to the problem that we face as humans, and he says, he speaks to this idea that somehow we are satisfied in things that aren't God. We take joy in things that aren't God. And this is what he says. He says, we are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased, he closed. So let me try to break this down for a minute. C.S. Lewis is speaking to our inability as people, as creatures, to find joy and satisfaction in God, who offers us infinite joy, the gift of infinite joy, because we are satisfied as small children making mud pies. We are half-hearted. We don't know what it means to be offered infinite joy because we've been so satisfied with, with making mud pies all of our lives. Sojourn, what is your mud pie? Mine is, mine is finding satisfaction in what you all think of me. Mine is finding satisfaction and joy in, in how much people need me, how much people desire to be around me. That's my mud pie. If I can just be honest. How people look at you, how people respect you, this is why we do it, isn't it? We may strive to make mud pies, looking forward to the next best thing. That's what George Mallory did. He was, as he ascended the mountain, he continued looking up 
forward to the next best thing. The summit didn't mean anything. It was, it was eclipsed by, by the joy that he had in the ascent, in the climb. That was the adventure. So many of us, we find ourselves looking upwards to the next job promotion, to, to the next child, to the next house, to the next move, to the next church. Most of us look upward as we ascend, as George did. We look upward, climbing. If only I had the next thing, if only I had this, then my joy would be satisfied. But some of us this morning, you may be making the ascend with us, but you're not looking upward. You're looking behind. You're looking behind. Maybe you have already lived most of your joyous years. Maybe you're looking behind trying to long for the joy that you once had when you were in college, when you had that, group, that close group of friends that, that kept you accountable and you had the Bible study every week and, and you had that. That was your joyful time, right? Some of us look back on that and we want it. Some of us look back on raising children because those were the most joyful times of our lives. We try to, we try to get with our kids as much as we can to try to relive what that joy meant for us. Some of us, as we make the ascent, we look backwards and trying to find those pieces of joy that we once lived. And this is the point of this text this morning, that it is crazy to think that we are all striving for a joy that will not last when there was a free, infinite gift given to us, a free, infinite, joyful gift of salvation that was given to us and we are satisfied with making mud pies. That's the crazy thing. That's the crazy thing. The joy that this life offers will not last, guys, but there is a joy that Isaiah is speaking about here. This is a jo- there is a joy that he has here that does not leave you. It does not leave you. And some of us, I know, like really, what are you talking about, Justin? Free, infinite joy. I work for my joy. We struggle for our joy. That's the reason why we have savings accounts and 401ks. We do this because we, we are protecting this joy that we have. You're telling me that, that, you, that I can have free, infinite joy? That's absurd. Some of you may be thinking that right now. And then some of you may be thinking, no, it's absurd because I've never experienced joy in my life. I've only had a life of pain and depression and suffering and death and the little times that I did have joy that tried to creep into my life it was just snatched up immediately by pain and suffering free infinite joy it's crazy it's crazy look back with me at verse 10 it's not crazy it's not absurd Isaiah can take joy in God he's rejoicing in God because or for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and he has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Isaiah is speaking to what Christ eventually accomplished on the cross when he gave humanity this gift. Look at the imagery with me again if you don't mind. Garments of salvation and robes of righteousness. Christ on that mountain 
was robed with our sin so that we could be robed in salvation and in righteousness. He was given garments of shame and pain and suffering so that you and I could be given garments of everlasting life. Isaiah conveys to us imagery that even goes deeper, deeper, speaking about the intimacy between a bridegroom and a a bride just before they come together in the intimacy of their covenant. This is what Christ thinks of us, guys. This is what Christ thinks of his church. You cannot lose this joy that Isaiah is speaking about here. It is not some cheap trick that the world tries to promise us that if we just invest this much effort or this much money, we will have this lasting joy. It's not that. This joy you will not lose. Isaiah is happy not because of his situation. He's happy because he has garments of salvation and he's got robes of righteousness and it was paid for on the cross. There was a struggle on that mountain. There was a storm. But it wasn't frostbite and it wasn't snow and it wasn't malnutrition. It was the wrath of God. It was the wrath of God abandoning his son for the joy of the world. The scriptures tell us that joy to the world was born in Bethlehem He was found in no way to be worthy by men. And he went to the cross and he purchased the joy that Isaiah is speaking about here. And I'd hoped in the last few weeks thinking about this sermon, I'd hoped to convey to you what happens when that joy, that infinite gift of joy collides with with us, what what happens there. And I don't have the words to convey to you how that could ever be. Um, but Charles Wesley is popular this morning, and um, he wrote a hymn that I love very much that might come close to what it meant when our hearts meet this infinite joy. I want to read you just a couple of stanzas that describe the joy that Christ purchased for you and me. Stanza three. He left his father's throne above. Just, Just think about this. He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love, and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin in nature's night, thine eye diffused a quickening ray, I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus, and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. This is what happens when when infinite joy is given to a sinner. This is what happens when the gift that Isaiah is speaking about here comes into contact with our hearts, guys. This is what happens. And we pursue joy like George that we can never keep when Christ went and he purchased joy for us that lasts forever at a cost unimaginable to us. This is the meaning of Advent. This is why we are here. Advent did not just happen once. 
Advent is happening every year in the hearts of people around us. That is, what is good and precious in your life need never be lost, and what is evil and bad about yourself can be changed. The thoughts that you have about the few good things that might bring you joy now that are slipping through your hands, this is exactly what Christ came to destroy. He came to destroy it and to give you a gift unimaginable to you, the gift of salvation, the gift of of everlasting joy that's free These frustrations that we face, that I face, after I speak this morning, I will be looking for joy in something else other than God. This is who we are. These frustrations will always be with us. Why not sojourn, stop fighting for something that you can never have, and accept and take something that you will have forever? When I thought about Christ, when I thought about him abandoning everything that he knew in the presence of his father to come down, to be tormented, to be tortured, and to to suffer on the cross. I thought, why? Like, why would he do that to give me this free grace, this free joy? Why would he do that? And there are lots of illustrations that, that we could try to think of that might portray what he was thinking. And the best that I can think of, guys, is, is like, is like my marriage, so I've been married now with Carly for three and a half years. Not every day has been wonderful. Not every day has been beautiful. There have been times where we have suffered and we've gone through pain together. But we did not enter into that covenant because we thought it was going to be easy and happy and joyful every single day. We went into that covenant with the hope that one day when we're 70 years old and we're looking back, sitting in our kitchen somewhere in Italy, God willing, looking back on our kids and our family and the Italians around us, when they look at us, when they look at our marriage, they say, Jesus, Jesus. This is why we enter marriage, to show the world Jesus. We don't enter marriage for the here and the now, but for the joy that awaits. There was a joy at the end of his sacrifice, just like there will be a joy, a joy now for us and a joy at the end of this. The writer of Hebrews, I think, gets it right. Chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we see the glimpse of of why he did it. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him. He went on that mountain for joy. Endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. So you may ask, why did he climb that summit? He climbed it for joy. He climbed it for the joy that he had. He climbed it for joy, for us, for you and me. And we see a glimpse of this, that he didn't climb it just for the joy of me and you sojourn Houston this morning. He didn't climb it just for that joy. Look at verse 11 with me. Isaiah gets so right. Verse 11, For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden 
causes what is sown in it to sprout up. So the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before the nations. This is the joy that Christ had in mind when he went to the mountain. The joy that the nations would praise him and would have righteousness in his name. This is why he went to it. And the way in which God will make this verse happen, it's happening right now, but the way in which he will fulfill this verse is namely through the joy of his church. The joy of the bride of Christ will magnify and glorify the Father amongst the nations so that the nations who are in darkness right now, blinded by the evil one, will one day taste and see, one day sprout up like in a garden and give praise to the Creator. This is what we are about. This is what sojourn is about. What does this mean? It means that we continue to plant parishes and to multiply parishes in our neighborhood here. And we continue, as we get bigger, we continue to plant more and more churches across Houston and across the globe. This is what this verse means. I may go, you may send, we may be working on opposite sides of the garden, but the task remains the same. We share the joy, the gift of infinite joy that we have in Christ to the people around us. This is how God is going to have verse 11 come about. This is the point of the text, guys. This is not just the point of the text for Israel. This is not just the theme song of this church. This is the theme song of every church in every age. Verse 11. Righteousness sprouting up in a garden and praise given to God. And this is an idea of what it looks like. Bear with me. How many of you were alive in 1973? Anybody? 1973. Got a few people. Good. Very good. Wonderful. So, in your lifetime, all right, 1973, in your lifetime, this has happened. This has happened. Um, in 1973, there were 420 missionaries to the country of India. That's about double the amount of people in this room, right? 420 missionaries to India. In 2009, there were more than 235 mission-sending organizations in India, more than 1,000 Bible schools planted in India, and more than 40,000 missionaries currently working in the country of India. Like, this is what a sprouting up looks like in the garden of God. This is why we rejoice like Isaiah rejoices, because God is doing this right now in the world around us. China, China, China looks, looks even bigger than India, even a first route. 1975, 2.7 million Christians in the country of China just 35 years ago, 40 years ago. Now there are over 75 million. That's, that's three times the population of Texas, evangelical Christians in the country of China right now. This is what God is doing, guys. This is the mission. Praise is the natural response to grace. And salvation and righteousness is the gift of that grace. We are robed in salvation. We are robed in salvation and in righteousness not to make mud pies. Not to make mud pies. But to give of our time and our money and our resources for verse 11 because it is going to happen. 
It is going to happen. He gives us, listen to me carefully, he gives us money. He gives us more money than we need so that we can meet the greatest need in the world today, and that is free, infinite joy in Jesus Christ. This is why he gives us this. This is why he blesses us. us. This is why we are the, the richest group of people in the world. This is why verse 11 will come about. Verse 11 will come about. So that righteousness sprouts up and praise is given to Jesus, that his, na- that his name may be known amongst the nations. This Christmas, this Advent, guys, don't give God's money to the December campaign and then continue making mud pies. Give God's money to his kingdom because he is your joy. Give God's money to his kingdom because he is your joy. This is why we've been blessed, Sojourn. This is why we plant churches. This is why we multiply parishes. This is why we bring in lost people and we we speak to people. This is why we do it. We do it for joy. We don't do it because it's cool. We don't do it because it's really hippie and trendy. We do it because God is our treasure. Because God is our treasure. This is our mission. This is our joy. No matter what it costs. Pray with me.